Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from the independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I'm thrilled to be joined by author and writer Tony Tone to discuss her new book, I Wish I Knew This Earlier, Lessons on Love. It's an apt title to be discussing on this podcast for obvious reasons and focuses on all the things Tony wishes she knew about relationships in her 20s. In this episode, we talk about the importance of looking for green flags when you start dating someone, the difference between compromise and settling, and what phrases like narcissistic abuse and a toxic relationship actually mean. Enjoy the show! Hello! Welcome! Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with your writing, can you start us off by telling the listeners a bit about your wonderful new book, uh, what inspired it and what it was like to write because so much of what you write is so personal and having written a very personal book myself, I know that that's not always the easiest experience. Yeah, of course. So uh, for those who don't know me, yeah, my name is Tony Tone. My debut book, I Wish I Knew This Earlier, is all about lessons on love. Um, So suits this podcast nicely. And it was inspired by all the things that I wish I knew in my teens and 20s about love that I now know now in my 30s. And what triggered the book was a breakup. So I was in um, my longest relationship was on and off for almost seven years. And when that ended, it was like, okay, wow, where, where do I go from here? What do I do? Like, I, I thought that was it. I thought that was the person I was going to spend my life with. And I had so many thoughts running through my head and I was replaying so much about what I did right, what I did wrong, what I could have done differently. And then I was replaying previous relationships and I thought to myself, you know what? There's a lot that you probably would have changed if you did everything again. <laughs> and I started just jotting everything down and I'd already written quite a bit about things like this on Twitter and it was a case of me just collecting everything I'd written on Twitter and just turning it into this book. And do you mind me asking how old you were when you went through that breakup? Because I think so many people I talk to on this show and just outside of it, they go through that kind of big breakup in their late 20s, early 30s. And a lot of people talk about the Saturn return and how that (laughs) triggers a lot of bigger lifestyle changes. So do you think that was what it was for you? Oh, how old was I? I was, I was 29. Yeah, when I went through that breakup, <laughs> I was 29. And it was, yeah, it was a life-changing moment for me. And going into my 30s, it almost felt like a bit of a rebirth. So I would say that that was a bit of, of what it was for me. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by that, particularly because I'm 27. So I'm still waiting nervously. <laughs> 
to see what's going to happen to me in the next <laughs> few years. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about dating because the book is kind of split into three chapters and you start off by talking about dating. And you, One of the things that you advise readers is to look out for green flags as much as red ones. Can you tell us a bit what you mean by that and what you think is an example of a green flag? Sure. I think um, a lot of us enter dating and we're immediately very on edge and that's largely based on on previous experiences and uh, not so pleasant experiences and I think what um, a lot of people tend to do especially in adulthood is look out for the red flag so i.e the, the bad signs the signs that someone will be terrible for you the signs that someone will not be a good partner and sometimes we could be so on edge and we're looking out for all these negative signs so much that we fail to actually appreciate the positive aspects of a person. And so in the book, I, I wrote about the importance of, of looking out for green flags because we can easily miss out on good people when we fail to appreciate good characteristics and we're only looking for bad ones. And ironically, when we're only looking for bad ones, that's an easy way to, to, to attract us to, to what is bad because we're trying to spot the bad all the time. And um, for me, green flags would be something like someone who listens to understands and allows you to be vulnerable and be open someone who is very supportive but is also honest with you in a compassionate way someone who wants to know more about your needs and what you want to get out of love and isn't just uh centering themselves and what they want out of relationships so it's looking out for people who actually care who show you they respect you who show you that they appreciate you and not just looking out for the signs that someone is going to be this awful partner mm. do you think it's possible to spot those things at the kind of really early stages of dating someone because I think it's very easy to spot the red flags in the early yeah. stages of dating isn't it like little things where someone's I don't know, the example that always seems to come up when people talk about this is someone who's rude to waiters at a restaurant, you know, yeah. or that kind of thing. Um, but do you think there are kind of uh, com comparable green flags to that that are like instantly like, okay, this is a good person. This is someone who will treat me well. I, I, think, they're what, I think they're the opposite of the the red flags you would immediately see. So like use the example of waiters. Like if you go on a date and someone is very polite, very understanding, very patient, there's an uh, error on the bill or something goes uh, horribly wrong. And rather than them flip out, they're like, you know what? It's cool. It's fine. These things happen. And, and the way they just speak to people generally when you're around them, um, I think that is, is quite a good indicator. And so the way they communicate, I think, is quite a good indicator as well. Like when you're talking to someone, you're getting to know them. I think quite early on, we can spot uh, red flags quite easily. We're, we're talking to a new guy and he asks, what are you wearing, for example? Um, no, that's not a good sign in my book. But for example, like early stages of dating, someone who is asking as many questions as answering them. And they're asking questions about who you are as a person in your core. So I think like whatever you would deem to be like an immediate red flag, I think the opposite is, is an immediate green flag. And you can see quite, quite green flags early on in dating if you actually actively look out for them. Yeah, I think you're right about having that balance of conversation because, you know, I've been on dates before, particularly, I think, straight women going on dates with men and the men just kind of talk at them constantly <laughs> without yeah. asking them anything. That I think that's familiar. quite a quite a common experience. Um, it's quite a, quite a big red flag. <laughs> um, 
I love what you say about uh, always appearing needy to someone who isn't giving you enough. Uh, it really reminds me of that meme. I think it's something like where it's it's like the only dating advice you need to know is if they like you, you'll know. And if they don't, you'll be confused. Okay, all you okay, need to know. That, yeah. And I just think <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? Because so often when we're, when we're being strung along by someone or we're not sure how someone feels about us, I do think sometimes it is just as simple as, well, if you're not sure, they don't like you. And if you're if you're being made to feel needy, then that person just isn't giving you isn't giving you what you want. Mm. So talk to me a bit about that and where that kind of came from for you. For me, that came from um, not just experience, but also observing friends in relationships and uh, being able to see kind of relationship dynamics amongst friends firsthand and, and notice that sometimes they would be, in my opinion, mislabeled as needy when in fact they weren't needy at all. Um, what they were asking from, from who they were seeing at the time, in, in my book, is the bare minimum. Uh, but because the person was very emotionally unavailable and very unwilling and very scared of commitment, anything um, that was considered more than uh, the very, 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 very bottom barrel basic <laughs> thing in a relationship was considered to be too much and too needy. And I thought I really wanted to address that in this book because I think there are a lot of women in particular. And, and while my book, everyone can read my book, um, I did write it with uh, women in mind, young women in mind. I think it's very important for, for women to know this because I think a lot of women um, are labeled as needy when in fact they're just with people who aren't meeting their needs. And um, I, I previously read a book called Attached about attachment theory. And when I was reading that, it really resonated because I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, sometimes you're with a partner and there are things you want to do, whether it's hold their hands, spend time with them. And you might hold back because you think, oh, I don't want to appear as needy. When in actuality, like human um, companionship is such a natural thing. It's a natural thing to want to be with someone, to spend time with someone, to love someone and um, to touch someone. It is very, very natural. And unfortunately, a lot of single people are um, do have a very avoidant attachment style. Um, and, and they tend to be the single people because they're avoiding relationships, so they're perpetually single. And that's not true for everyone because you have people who are quite anxious or people who are quite secure and single. But um, the majority of people do have an avoidant attachment style when you look at the pool of single people. And so what happens is you meet someone who may not be um, avoidant and dismissive and they get with someone who is, and all of a sudden, they start to analyze their own behavior as abnormal. And they start to believe that, oh my God, I'm this clingy, needing person, when actually, no, a lot of people just aren't willing to be vulnerable and aren't willing to give more than the bare minimum. And yeah, I, I wrote that because I don't want people to hold back and to stop the very basic and normal things that we should be doing in relationships. Mm. It's so tricky, though, isn't it? Because obviously, a relationship is an intimate thing, usually between two people, right? So when your partner tells you back off, you're being needy, I think it's really hard to have the external validation to think, oh, no, I'm not being needy. I just I just want more than this person's willing to give me like, it makes sense when you say it. But I think when you're in that situation, the default is to just think, is to shame yourself and to just because it's so hard to see past that because obviously you're going to trust the person you love and are infatuated with and fancy and if they say that to you, you're going to be like oh, oh god yeah they're right 
it's but it's so empowering once you do have that realization but it's really hard to to have when you're in that I will say like every single lesson in my book and every lesson every single lesson I've learned about love mirrors that perfectly when you are in the eye of the storm it is always a million times harder because equally, I've read my book um, so many times over, I was recording the audio book, and I remember reading certain lessons and being like, damn, if only I remembered that six months ago, <laughs> if only I did that two weeks ago. And when you are in the eye of the storm, it can be so tricky because your emotions are involved and you're so invested and everything is just super, super intense. But I always say that when it comes to anything, it's always nice to just remind yourself and you will not get it perfect all the time and you're going to make mistakes. And I, I'm still making mistakes. Like I will, I've accepted the fact that I will forever be learning. Like I'm 32 now and I'll be learning into my 40s, into my 50s and beyond. Um, but it just helps to remind yourself because in those moments of silence, when you uh, retreat from this chaotic situation or you're away from the conflict, in those periods of downtime, that's when you can reflect and be like, okay, actually, actually, maybe I should have done this. Or actually, maybe this person isn't good for me because of this reason and X, Y, Z. Uh, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's always tough when you're in, in the midst of it. <laughs> yeah, I think the... Um... Because, I mean, I'm also, you know, obviously I write and talk about this stuff all the time and, and I'm not perfect. I make all of the same mistakes. <laughs> and then I, you know, my mum read my book and she was like, why don't you just listen to your own advice, Livy? You did your own book. That <laughs> all the time. familiar. Yeah, all the time says that to me. Um, but, yeah, I think the best advice that I always get from friends when you're in the midst of something like that and you know that something's not right but you can't quite identify it because of all the reasons you just said, because you are emotionally invested and everything, I think sometimes the best advice that I've heard anyway is to just just ride it out and just trust mm. the process and just know that you'll get there. But really, that's all you can do in that yeah. moment, isn't it? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's really good advice. You, you, I think trusting yourself and paying attention to your gut and your, your uh, innate inclinations is very important. Mm. You, um, you wrote a piece recently about um, being attracted to chaos and toxic relationships. I'm so interested in this subject because I think you know, societally, we have, we overuse the term toxic relationships today a lot, you know, as we do with a lot of terms to do with relationships. So I want to know from you, what what constitutes a toxic relationship? And, and what do you do if you're in one? And why do you think personally, you were attracted to them? Because I think a lot of people would resonate with that as well. Yeah, I think uh, for me, a toxic relationship, is a relationship that diminishes your well-being in some way, whether that's um, or changes your well-being in some way, whether that's emotional, mental, or physical. Um, so, uh, if you are in a verbally um, a, a verbally abusive relationship, that is a toxic relationship. A physically abusive relationship, that is a toxic. An emotionally abusive relationship, that is a toxic relationship because it is a toxic environment and situation that you are in. Um, and I agree with you the term is overused because sometimes I'll go on Twitter and people will be like my toxic trait is and it will just be like a basic like negative trait and it's not like this highly toxic trait or oh my god this is so toxic and it's like nah, actually no this is an error a lot of people make in relationships but I wouldn't define it as toxic so I, I definitely agree with that um, but yeah I think um, people who are, find themselves in relationships like that um, sometimes it can just be like a case of being manipulated. You meet, like you said, sometimes you meet someone and the green flags seem really green and you realize actually this person is a complete narcissist 
who narcissist who completely manipulated me and I fell in love with one person and they're another person and other times we could even find ourselves maybe drawn to them because of experiences and that's what I wrote about in my book um because when I look back at some of the boyfriends in relation I've had in the relationships I've been I say some but there's one there's one key one or one and a half that stand out (laughs) and I considered things that I had been through as a child I had considered what I had defined as normal um, on the basis of what I was exposed to growing up. And when I started dating, I realized that things that other people would deem as completely unacceptable, I would easily justify because it was my normal. It was my normal. It was my normal to, to hear frequent arguments, to be in chaotic environments, to deal with someone who um, had intense mood swings one minute, they loved you and treated you like you were the best thing since sliced bread. Next minute, uh, they said horrible, horrible things that you'd never forget. And I went into a particular relationship thinking, okay, yeah, this is this this is this is what happens. Like sometimes guys talk like this. You just accept it, and it's fine, and this is normal. And what would happen then is if I would meet someone who was calm, collected, respectful. Um, arguments were infrequent I would think there's there's something wrong what, what's the mm. catch what's the issue this was uncomfortable this was weird mm, he's too nice and I had to unlearn a lot of that and I realized that some of what I was drawn to was tied into me believing that chaos was normal and calm was weird and that came from my childhood experiences I think I think you're really not alone in that experience at all but I think even if you haven't had those childhood experiences uh, and I do often say this I think popular culture conditions us to sometimes seek out toxic relationships it does that bad boy be that ride or die chick Bonnie and Clyde I agree (laughs) I wrote about that too (laughs) yeah Yeah, Yeah. it it does it's it's a problem because it's like you romanticize all of these things where there are all of these hurdles to get over and there's a there's a man who treats a woman like crap but it's all it's down to the women to change the man eventually she will and you know it completely negates the fact that she's essentially been emotionally abused and also I've been really interested by narcissistic abuse recently it's been something I've been reading about quite a lot and there's some of the things that you were mentioning there I think fall into that Mm, pattern because it's like this idea of seeing those really green flags like you said and being what is termed as love bombed you know where you are kind of being put put on a pedestal by a partner and then all of a sudden torn down and made to feel incredibly small and because of the, the way that the cycle of narcissistic abuse works you then find yourself in those low moments then craving those high moments again and then it that's what keeps you in that toxic relationship I suppose I suppose that's a really kind of heightened example of what a toxic relationship looks like right yeah yeah definitely and I I addressed that in in um my book also I talked about um intensity (laughs) valuing intimacy over intensity because I did the same thing I, I I remember being in that toxic relationship I was in when things were great they were amazing when things were terrible they were so bad but because they were so amazing when they were amazing I thought okay this is this is thrilling this is passionate this is amazing I'm so drawn and I'm so attached to this person and bonded to this person when actually it was because I was going through this roller coaster of emotions that I felt that I was bonded to this person 
Um, but it wasn't an intimate relationship where I felt safe and vulnerable. It was an intense relationship for all the wrong reasons. And uh, yeah, I, I do agree. I've, I've been through the, the love bombing. They do something horrible. Next thing you know, they do something amazing. And you think this person adores me when in reality, it's part of their manipulation tactic. Mm. And it's a really difficult thing to confront because obviously, I don't think it's it's behavior that the narcissist or the abuser does consciously Mm. obviously so it's then a really hard thing to deal with so how do you think you you overcome something like that because I think addressing it with your partner probably isn't the best thing to do um it's sort of about just kind of recognizing it right and just trying to get out if you can yeah I know I agree with you I think it's about recognizing it and um assessing it from your own lens I think sometimes we can look to Uh, garner advice from everyone around us and uh, we don't always trust ourselves and our own instincts so really assessing things from your own lens assessing how you feel assessing your safety assessing everything and um, just making note of these behaviors because if someone is uh, demonstrating these narcissistic personality traits it's not something that it's just going to switch off I'm going to have a discussion with him then he's going to change or she's going to change and it's all going to be fine and communication is key communication saves relationships no it's especially if they're they're not aware that they're doing it and they're doing it because of their own um, generational experiences so it's something that you have to definitely assess and 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 try your very best to um, escape from and and I say that with a pinch of salt because some people are married to people who have these personality traits and it's not as easy as just escaping and some people have accepted that you know what my partner has this fault and I deal with it in xyz uh, in this way and that's why I try not to judge people if they choose to stay with someone who has certain qualities and and that's why the assessing it from your own lens is very important because if you feel like okay I'm with this person and this person has this manipulative quality I've talked to them about it they're obviously not changing overnight but I don't feel like my safety is being compromised and I'm married to this person they're going through therapy like the context always matters but yeah it's it's very much um, a personal thing that you really need to assess for yourself. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And just turning that on its head a little bit, because, you know, whenever I talk about this or read about it, it is always, you know, quite rightly from the victim's perspective and how to recognise if you're with someone who is 
uh, narcissistic abuser or emotionally abusing you or, or whatever. But I think maybe we need to talk more about how to recognize if you are the abusive one. <laughs> I agree. Right? Because like, <laughs> this is what I mean. Like I just said to you earlier, like, you know, you can't have that conversation with a partner. So how can we talk to those people? <laughs> and how, Because I think we also, you know, we, we need to address that as well. And how do you recognize if you are the one that has the problematic behavior? Because so much of the dialogue around relationships is about absolving yourself of responsibility and putting it on to someone else but obviously if there are all these people feeling these things there are people making them feel like that yeah yeah and I think it's it's a bit of a tricky situation because the people that are the perpetrators um where they may not want to take accountability or they may not be entirely aware that they are doing it the people who end up writing about it and talking about it are often the victims and they're often the victims because there's not that, I mean, conflict of interest is the wrong word, but there's not that, that conflict doesn't exist. So it's often, a lot of writing comes from a um, experience standpoint. And very rarely you find someone willing to take accountability and accept the fact they behaved in this way and they're willing to talk about it freely. Um, but what thing, one thing I think is great, and I, I think, um, when it comes to understanding whether you are that person, a lot of people that do end up writing about it are professionals. So professionals who uh, work in psychology, prof- professionals who um, possess the skills um, needed to accurately um, assess someone with uh, narcissistic personality, for example, Um and someone who is qualified to, someone who is qualified to accurately diagnose it. Um, so I think a lot of that writing um, is happening. But what you find is that that the writing that is shared is the writing, the emotive writing from the uh, standpoint of the victim, because more people can relate to being a victim of. Uh, this kind of behavior than being a perpetrator. So I think one thing that I, I think is really important, if you are someone that has a platform, if you are someone that has a uh, reach, is to share both sides of the coin. So why you, while you may not be qualified to diagnose and why you may not be qualified to say, this is how you spot one, and the only qualification you have is to talk from your personal experience, which is what I did, you can definitely still highlight the work of other people who are doing that necessary work to say, you know what, like, it's not just about us as victims talking about our experience. Like, some of you need to know (laughs) that you are perpetrators, and this is how you spot your behaviors. And one uh, website that I really love is Psychology Today, and I follow them on Twitter. And I always see lots of various articles about spotting signs of abusers, for example, from lots of different qualified doctors. And I always try and share them. Because I think, okay, this is someone who knows what they're talking about. And this is someone that if you do come across it and you recognize that you um, display these behaviors, you are more likely to not listen, but you are more likely to pay attention to someone who can accurately diagnose than someone who is talking from the perspective of of being a victim. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we do keep having those conversations because, you know, it's still a big problem, I think, culturally, that people say the word abuse or abusive relationship and they think physical violence. And obviously we know that that is not the only form of an abusive relationship. And I think because because they can 
the signs can be subtle and hard to to spot it is it is more important never that we talk about it um okay. and also I you know I, I wrote about this in my book about uh Love Island <laughs> mm. and um how you know obviously that show has all sorts of problems but one of the things that I did think was really beneficial was that you could see these kind of emotionally abusive situations play out between yes. the people on the show and you see it play out in a way that is relatable and you can understand it because you're just seeing two people talking to each other and obviously it would be better if those weren't real people going through that situation but I think because they are real people as opposed to a show like a fictional show it's easier to relate to and, and to identify with yes yeah no I completely agree Completely agree. In the book, you write about the importance of controlling your ego in a relationship. What do you mean by that? And why do you think that is so important? Um, okay, so I wrote that because when I looked back at my own experiences, I reflected on the fact that there are things that I could have handled differently and admittedly better, but I didn't because I centered my emotions so much in this situation. And so when I wrote about um, controlling ego, it was about removing yourself from a situation um, to a certain degree and assessing it from the lens of someone who acknowledges that we are all individuals and we all make our own choices. And sometimes a person's choice is not a reflection of you and you are not the center of every bad thing they do or every good decision they make. And sometimes it's literally down to them. And um, for me, it was about thinking of the times that I have been like, oh, woe is me. And it was not a woe is me situation in hindsight. Um, but because I let my sense of pride get the better of me, I handled that situation much worse than I probably should have. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And how... Is that just about having a better sense of self-awareness to, to overcome that? And how do you even, because, you know, we live in a world where people are notoriously lacking in self-awareness. <laughs> so um, how do you think you get to a point where you can recognise that your ego is getting out of control in a relationship? I think um, self-awareness definitely. And I think that's tied into asking yourself key questions. And for me, like when I'm in intense situations now, I generally try to ask myself, like, is this about me? Like, am I, and I, I take a lot personally. <laughs> I do. I, I take so much personally. Something that is totally unrelated to me, I can take it personally. I will find a way to take it personally. And I've learned to, to really ask myself, like, is this about me? Is this about me or is this about them? And I think that's one way to help yourself through the process of, of challenging your ego and, and not centering yourself in situations. But again, when you're in the eye of the storm, it's very hard, especially if someone hurts you. You think, oh my God, no, I'm just not good enough. I'm this or it's because of me or oh, this person doesn't love me or me, 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 me. When it's like, no, sometimes it just has nothing to do with you and it is all about them. Um, mm. And it's it can be very hard to separate what is related to you and what is related to to them but it is about self-awareness and and also being willing to have uncomfortable conversations I think um so as an example recently I went through something with someone and they did something I didn't like and I and I asked them why did you do that 
with the awareness that they could say, I did that because you did X, Y, Z, or I did that for another reason. And I was really scared to ask them, like, why did you make this choice? And then they came back to say, I made this choice because of this reason. And it was totally unrelated to to me and and unrelated to what I thought it would, the decision was based on. Um, But I think willing to have that uncomfortable situation, ask myself, is this about me? You know what, let me find out if this is actually about me. I'm going to have this uncomfortable conversation with this person and realizing, no, it's not. And then that reaffirms that sometimes people do things because they want to do them and there's a reason beyond you and you are literally not the core of all their choices. (laughs) Yeah, God, that is really good advice. (laughs) It's really good to remember. Um, You write about the distinction between compromise and settling. I think this is quite a hard thing to navigate because obviously, you know, you want to put yourself and your own needs first, but at some point you have to learn when it's time to put your own needs to one side and put your partner's needs first. So how, how do you think we um, work around that? Because I think everyone has different answers to this. And, you know, how do you think, you know, when the balance has tipped over too much one way, because either way is, is bad. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think it's just about personal fulfillment. When you feel personally fulfilled, when you feel emotionally fulfilled, when you feel mentally and physically fulfilled, and you can have these feelings of fulfillment with someone who is not six foot three and someone who is five foot nine. Um, So I think it's about understanding when you are happy. And I think sometimes we can have feelings of happiness, but because we're comparing ourselves to our friends or other people, we end up chasing, uh, chasing more. We could feel very content in a relationship. Then we see, oh, my friend's just got a new boyfriend and he's loaded and he drives this car. And I was very fulfilled before. And all of a sudden now I'm looking at my boyfriend thinking, why aren't you rich? Um, So it's about trying to understand like how you really, truly feel without those external comparisons. And I think that when you are settling, you are reducing your sense of fulfillment and you understand there is something within you that knows that you are not being fulfilled whether that is emotionally whether that that is mentally or even or even physically because I I mentioned that in the book I I didn't want to write that chapter and for people to think that oh so if it's all about someone who respects you and love you loves you um, if the person is terrible in bed and you're sexually unsatisfied you should be with them anyway you need to feel fulfilled in all aspects of a relationship and I think that's one way that people can make that distinction. Mm, I think that's a really good point, feeling fulfilled, because it's it's very easy to to lie in bed at night and thinking, oh, well, because I, I just don't think that's a question you really ask yourself very much. Like, am I feeling fulfilled right now? And I think a lot of people, when they do ask themselves that, will probably realise that they don't. They don't, yeah. <laughs> I did that once upon a time. I was in a relationship and like on paper, on the surface, yeah, everything was was fine. And then I asked myself, am I feeling fulfilled? And then I I realized when I truly asked myself, like, am I happy? And I I realized, no, actually, no, this isn't what I want for myself. And this person is lovely. They're great. But at this time, at this point in my life, I do not want to be in a relationship. And I'm not feeling fulfilled because it's not what I desire. Um, And it's a hard conversation to have with yourself. And sometimes you can feel like, am I self-sabotaging? Because I've asked myself, am am I fulfilled? And the answer is no, like, am I self-sabotaging? But again, it's it's trying to be as self-aware as possible and trying to understand why 
if the answer is no, why it is no. And in the final section of the book, you talk about the healing stage um, and about breakups. One of the things you say is, you know, it's really important to implement boundaries during a breakup. What kind of things do you mean by that? Do you mean boundaries with yourself or boundaries with your ex in terms of like, don't communicate with me or, you know, I'm going to block you on social media. Don't try and email me or whatever it is. I think both are equally as important. I think it's very important to put boundaries in place with people you're still emotionally attached to. And even people you're not emotionally attached to, but people that that may be takers, for example. Um, I think it's it's good to recognize that, okay, you know what, I, I might still have feelings for this person. This is not conducive to me moving on. Let me um, not follow them on, on Instagram or let me um, not text them five days a week. So I think applying those boundaries with, with other people is important. But yeah, it's about respecting the boundaries that you set for yourself too. And if you say that, you know what, I'm not going to do something because I don't think this is helpful for me or good for me. It's about trusting yourself and respecting your your own decisions and respecting your own boundaries. And sometimes I think we can, we can I've done this before. I've like set a boundary for myself and I said, Tony, you will not do this. You will not do this. You will not do this. Then the moment comes and I do it. <laughs> And I think it can be very, very hard to listen to yourself, but it's important to do. But even if you if you do cross that boundary, though, it's important also to be compassionate with yourself, because I think sometimes we can cross the boundary and beat ourselves up and be like, oh, my God, this is all my fault. And I'm this horrible person for not being strong, uh, when in reality, we're only human. So both boundaries are, are really important. But I think sometimes we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, I can do this and I can still move on. I can do this. I'll be fine. I'm not emotionally invested when really deep down we know we cannot or we know we are still connected to that person. Yeah, I think that's so common, you know, from my own experiences and those of my friends. Very often, particularly if you're the one that has broken up with someone, I think it's very easy to be like, well, this is what I wanted and now I'm fine. (laughs) I feel free and I'm having the best time and that'll last for like a month or two months and then it sinks in and the sort of grief of losing the relationship actually starts to hit home and I think feels much worse than if you had actually just allowed yourself to really feel that loss because whether it was a loss that you wanted it or not, you know, it's it's still a loss of a human being in your life. So it's um it's it's just so funny I see it over and over again with my friends and I've done it too and it's it's just like we need to not delay that process because it makes it so much more painful yeah uh, yeah I agree it really really does <laughs> been there done that okay finally it's time for our lessons in love segment so obviously this is literally in the title of your book Tony <laughs> so I think I think you've got so many lessons that you could give us so I'm not sure how you're going to pick oh. just one but if you can try if you could tell us something that you've learned from your previous relationship experiences this is, that you'd like to share this is tough because that's literally my whole book okay the first thing <laughs> that comes to mind is to just be your authentic self and I think this is really important for me uh, particularly as a woman in, in today's society like everything tells you to just like be this be that it, you, people will adore you if you behave in this way if you're too loud you'll turn men off if you're too independent you'll turn men off you're too strong you're too this you're too this you're too that I think I absorbed a lot of these lessons as a, a, a teenager, these unhelpful lessons as a teenager. And in adulthood, I realized, actually, no, by behaving inauthentically, I'm attracting people who are not suited to me because they do not actually know the real me. And I'm not a, giving them the privilege to learn exactly who I am. And I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm doing them a disservice too. And it's unfair that I'm uh, wearing this mask and trying to be this like perfect princess for 
for people in the hope that they would value me. So I think um, just loving as the authentic you and the truest version of you. And I'm not saying like, oh, don't wear makeup, don't put hair extensions in. Don't. Yeah, I'm not talking about the surface, but I think sometimes people hear that and they immediately think, oh yeah, women need to, I'm not, do whatever you want to do. Like your body is your body, but it's about you and your core and your character and not, and not waking up or going to a date or meeting someone and feeling like you have to pretend and be someone else to be loved. Like there is someone in this world who will love you for who you truly are. Um, and it's about recognizing that you, that, that doesn't mean either that there's no room for improvement because there is always room for improvement and we all have flaws. But just recognizing that your core character is not something that you should be ashamed of. That's such a good one, particularly I think the shame angle, because you know we know that obviously if you feel that you have to play up to someone who you're not in order to impress someone or to make you love, to make them like you, it's, it's obviously not a good thing. Mm. But I think then what the byproduct of that is, which is also really important to discuss, is like you said, the shame that then you feel about your true self. Yeah. And I think you can carry that shame for years if you have constantly been made to feel by people that you need to live up to some sort of idealised version of a woman in order to be worthy of love. Yeah, and it's quite hard to shake that shame off. Do you think it's just about being with the right person or is it about doing the work on yourself or both I think I think both because you could do the work on yourself and be with the wrong person and end up back in square one and you could be with the, with the right person but because you're not doing any work on yourself you're just you're still as anxious about who you truly are and I think it's about working on both and and that's not to say you need to be this perfect uh, person. Like I mentioned, like you don't need to be this like self love Jedi before you like get in a relationship, <laughs> which is which is true. A lot of people think, oh no, I need to be this perfect like all self loving being before I get into a relationship. No, I think you can uh, both can work side to side, but it's about saying that you know what I need to do what I can to feel proud of who I am. And that might be taking time out to do things I love and enjoy. That might be affirming my value in different ways, whether it's writing a journal, whether it's um, joining a club, whether it's going to therapy, um, talking about the things that bother me, working on yourself and truly administering that self-care while also being with people who don't need you or don't tell you to change who are happy for you to try and become the best version of you but they love you for who you are right now and not for solely for your potential that's it for today thank you so much for listening if you're a new listener to millennial love do subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify acast or anywhere else you can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us keep up to date with everything to do with the show on instagram just search millennial love See you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.